When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This is Idol Australians with James Madison and Osher Ginsberg. Exploring the bits you might have missed from Australian history and Australian culture. Welcome to Idol Australians once again. I'm Osher Ginsberg. That's James Madison, Toa Haida on the intro theme song. Thanks very much for joining us. How are you this week, Jimmy? Good, man. How are you travelling? Are you ready to do this, to delve further into the dark, decrepit, exciting, mysterious history of Australian culture? I really am, and it's a really important one, actually, because I've been... So I'm shooting The Bachelorette at the moment, all right? And we are, in a world first, we're shooting with the the world's first bisexual bachelorette. She's also the world's first Indigenous First Nations bachelorette. So... Sometimes on the group dates, they lean in one direction and sometimes on the other. And so even just today, we were shooting one that is kind of more around the Brooks, um, you know, sexuality and acceptance and things. I'm talking with all the the participants there, the guys and the girls, because there's guys and girls in the mansion. It's freaking great, dude. And we were just talking about some of the crew were just going, oh, yeah, there used to be a drag show. Like we used to go to the Albury every Wednesday night at midnight. And I remember when I first got to Sydney, I would go to the Albury at, on a Wednesday at midnight and it would be rammed wall to wall and just watch the most hilarious and brilliant drag shows on a fucking weeknight, you know. And, I, you know, I come from Brisbane. There was the Wickham Hotel, which only just kind of started up as I was leaving, but there was nothing like that. That scene was nowhere near what is in Sydney and I just couldn't believe. And now it's like, where is it, you know? And we're just kind of lamenting that this this thing has just vanished and is gone from the soul of the centre of the city. And what that does, you know, just turns the whole thing into... It's like Singapore. Like, Singapore is incredible. It's like, no, it's just one really big central business district. Like, there's, you know, there's like nothing. It's just really weird. There's no heart to it. I was born in Sydney and I've lived here all my life. I'm, all my friends are here, my family's here, and I love swimming in the ocean pools at the harbour beaches. But Sydney's a f- soulless, heartless, cold, brutal shell of a city <laughs> that cares naught for culture, that doesn't value anything outside of real estate development. And it's really sad. It has so much potential. But it wasn't always like that, you know. It used to be, like you're saying, a place where even in the 80s, there was such a band scene here that, you know, you could go out 
and we've spoken to people on this podcast about this, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and see like whether it's the oils, whether it's in excess one night, whether it's cold chisel the next night, there was a heaving music scene. And the, you know, the cabaret scene that you're talking about existed in King's Cross, which, you know, during the 60s and 70s is this bohemian hub where you could go and see a cabaret show, live music, you could go and get drinks very, very late, smoke cigarettes, meet people from all over the country, all over the world coming to this bright lights and exciting central metropolis um, that doesn't really exist anymore. But part of that central metropolis, part of that bohemian, exciting, explosive late-night culture, at the heart of that there was this place called Lay Girls. And I don't know if you know about it, being from Brisbane, you would have heard about it. Absolutely heard about it. It was an all-male review. It was a, a drag show. The, there was lip-syncing, um, but it was so much more than that. It was this cultural hub uh, that really pioneered that kind of entertainment and celebration of that part of uh, the community. And it was spearheaded by this force of nature woman by the name of Carlotta. She was fierce. She was brash. She was loud. She was filthy. She would tear everyone a new one if they dared dared heckle her. Uh, she was the compare. She became the absolute star of the show. This place was so big that, mate, Sammy Davis Jr. showed up, Frank Sinatra showed up, Liza Minnelli showed up. It was the Peter Allen showed up, Shirley Bassey. Like, it was the place to go. If you're an international star in Sydney, that's where you went. You went to go see Lake Girls and it was would have been the biggest, biggest night in town. Yeah, and, and there was a time where... Close to 50 years ago, it was hard to imagine being a member of the transgender community and being out and proud, whether you liked it or not. I mean, that was the reality for Carlotta, you know, in this show, in the national media, in a position where, you know, Australia, it's pretty conservative now, but imagine it in the 70s. Man. Would have been bananas. Would have been incredible. Over the course of our careers separately, we've both had the incredible luck to – you work with her quite regularly. Uh, I only ever passed her in a in a, cha- in a in a in a green room or in a hallway outside of a studio, and you know, just with adulation, like, oh my god, it's you, Carlotta, and she radiates, she buzzes with this energy, doesn't she? When you're around her, yeah, she's an absolute legend. I've worked with her previously on Studio Ten, and yeah, that she has a, a charisma that is undeniable, and just gives zero fucks, None. which. Um, is rare and admirable in today's world, but she is an absolute legend, an icon of Sydney and Australian entertainment at large. So we thought we'd get her on the show. Carlotta, welcome to Idol Australians. Great to have you. Hello, Dove. How are you? I'm all right, you old bag. How are you? <laughs> I'm so happy to hear your voice. Jim and I were just talking about when we first met you, I, I remember meeting you on the Foxtel Wharf back in the late yeah, 90s. Yeah, Beauty, uh, Beauty and the Beast. And I just remember, you know, everyone was like, oh, you know, oh, but John Laws is in that office and Zabana. Because I remember meeting you going, but 
just the the gravity, the legendary status of what you'd done was not lost. I mean, I grew up in Brisbane, you know. I I knew uh, about uh, you. Uh, uh, I'm not into self-praise, darling. I did what I had to do, you know. We were talking in the intro about just how big Lay Girls was. If you were in Sydney during the 70s and 80s, it was such an, an institution. I mean, when you were in it, when you're in the thick of it, do you sort of realise how big an impact it has culturally in the city and I guess, you know, eventually well, around the country? it was different times then. You know, it was um, uh, I never thought I'd get to the age where I'd say different times then. You know, it was fun. You know, King's Cross was in the 60s. I mean, the cross was like Las Vegas. It was our own small Las Vegas. It was amazing. Well, you could walk down the street, you didn't, you know, no one would, would pull you up or rob you or, you know, there were, I mean, even the prostitutes in those days who worked on the streets were beautiful, absolutely beautiful. They wore Chanel clothing, you know, they were absolutely stunning girls. It was only at the end of the Vietnam War when the, uh, the Yanks started to come here and bring the drugs that it all changed. Like when they had bandstand and all that, everyone used to meet up at the Cross, Peter Allen, all those stars, you know, at a place called the Showbiz, which was a coffee lounge. And, you know, it was exciting times. You know, it was fabulous nightclubs. It was insane. Best times of my life. I, You know, I, th- I was very fortunate to have lived through that period. You said at the start of our conversation that they gave you an AM and all I did was like, I just did what I had to do. What do you mean by that? You know, I had to fight for, you know, acceptance. It wasn't given to me on a plate. You know, we had a lot of bad characters, like especially the police in those days. There was one cop I used to call him Chitty Chitty Bang Bang from the movie. Uh, he would do Robert Helpman's role. He, he, in the movie, he ran around uh, collecting children with a big net. Well, they used to go run around collecting um, drag queens so they could uh, points on their scoring. Of course, in those days, you weren't allowed on the street dressed as a woman, but there was no law against it. So I fought all that, I suppose. And, of course, we got, you know, fought for decent wages. You know, we were, we were ripped off by so many people. We were considered a bastardised act, a freak show, you know, so... But proved him wrong over the years. Dismissed the importance of it a little bit there by saying, you know, I did what I, I had to do. But, you know, in many ways you sort of laid the ground for future generations to be able to... Oh, look, it's very nice to say that, but there were other people too that fought for their rights, you know, in those days too. But, you know, it was just that I was out there in the limelight. I was out there, you know, as, you know, Carlotta, you know. You know, like I'm Carol Spencer, but, you know, Car- the identity that I took on as Carlotta, I mean, she's a tough cookie. She don't take any crap. <laughs> Did that allow you to, to fight for things in ways that you otherwise never would have? Yes, I think so. I think so very much. But um, so I built that strong character in her. And unfortunately, I'm putting her to rest uh, this year. Oh, well, hopefully. Uh, I've already started my tour, my um, retirement tour. Uh, I did it in Western Australia, just got back by the skin of my teeth. Uh, and then I've got one up here on the Gold Coast on the 28th of August, and uh, my one-woman show. It's, um, and then I'm doing one in Adelaide on my birthday. And then the last one I'm doing in Sydney, but I have, haven't gone down there to be able to get down there to negotiate uh, the Opera House or the State Theatre yet. 
That's my farewell show. Uh, I mean, I'm sure Sydney can organise the Opera House. For, uh, uh, 62 years I've been doing it, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you, you, you're more than due, I reckon. As they say, tough Balmain girl. <laughs> what does that feel like, knowing that you're finally going to put that part of you to the side? Oh, the, the, oh darling, the feet, the, my feet are going to love it. But I've taken up painting too, I I've had an art exhibition last year at uh, the Wilkes Gallery. I did very well, and I've got another art exhibition coming up at the Wilkes Gallery in Paddington uh, in uh, 22. I'm doing paintings for it now. Yeah, you mentioned you're from Balmain. Yes. It's, it's wild. I was, I was in Balmain today. I was working in Balmain today. You can't be what you can't see, Carlotta. <laughs> what was it like being a little kid in Balmain in the – Goodness, well, I early grew up 50s. with Dawn Fraser, darling. Right. You know, we both belong to the same swimming club, that old expression. She, she swam like a bloke and I dressed like a woman. <laughs> <laughs> See, we miss laughter in the world, mate. All this political correctness, they can blow it. <laughs> you weren't the first person to to go through a transition in the country, certainly, but certainly the highest profile person. Had you ever... Where did you first hear that transitioning was a thing that was a pathway? Well, I did say a French person called Coxanel had had the transition in Paris, in France, and I read up on it and then I followed it up through here and knew that they were doing treatments like that at um, one of the hospitals in Sydney and I followed that through. I didn't want it publicly known. It was a private thing with me. Mm-hmm. I just uh, went to have it done, but some little gay orderly uh, told the press. And that's where that expression is. Um, they, they, well, it was a headline in the Mirror paper in those days, Balmain Boy Becomes Beauty. My mother fell off the stool at the RSL because I never told her. <laughs> so your mother hears about this from the newspaper? Yep. I didn't want to tell anyone. Of course. It was my business. It was my body. And then once it is out in the public, I guess, are you then forced to sort of own it and be open about it with other people? I was sort of, I was, I was frightened I'd lose my job at Lake Girls, you know, but then uh, like Sammy Lee, as usual, he made a big thing out of it. Come and see Australia's first sex change and all this business. So, look, I, I've always just called myself Carlotta. I've never put a brand on myself. It's pretty extraordinary that in 1973 you were the first trans person in the world to play a trans person on screen and here we are nearly 50 years later and it's only just yeah. starting to happen. You were essentially going to the moon as far as as far as, you know, something as Oh, uh, when I did number 96. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, I was. Uh, yeah, I I didn't realize and then uh they found out that I was the first train in the world to appear in a soap. Look, I'm being very fortunate that I've been the first of this and the first of that, but, you know, it's um, part of your life. But I'm not, I'm not one of those people that believe in my own publicity, love. You know, I've, I've had to work hard to get where I am. Yeah, no, it's less about publicity, more about the fact that, you know, what the next generation has to go through becomes hopefully a bit well, easier the, the because you're able to do next generation, hopefully, they'll get it a lot easier. Mm. You know, and then they are getting it easier now today. But, uh, you know, more acceptance, especially in the gay scene, there's still a high uh, suicide rate. 
it's still a big high percentage and it's sad that it should be happening today still but it has got a hundred percent better to what it was i can only imagine being so high profile i mean we all hear the stories about the origins of mardi gras the the 78ers the the police violence that met that first protest march in 1978 yeah that was terrible I can only imagine being so pro- high profile. It would have been one thing to be on stage and be at Lay Girls and, you know, the crowd goes wild and then trying well, to get I, home I safe. I think my high profile started when they put me in number 96. Right. That more or less put it right out into the public. And then I did a special for Channel 9, which was called The Glittering Mile, which was a documentary. You know, Ernie Sickley's show in Adelaide. I was, you know, I, I did so much TV over the years doing guest spots here and there. And uh, it all eventuated from that. But I was always out there in the light. And I think the biggest um, challenge for me and the biggest uh, thing I've um, enjoyed the, really the most was when Beauty and the Beast. I mean, I was absolutely petrified. I thought, how am I going to do it? But Stan Samanik and I just hit it off. We just sort of hit, you know, we hit off one another. We just, it worked. Yeah. The whole thing worked between, like he'd rip me apart and I'd rip him apart. And it was in a comical way. It just worked. The chemistry was there. Yeah, to watch that, it looked like uh, you guys were having a lot of fun. And I, I think, you know, when people think of you, they think of the... The singing and the performances, but I think yeah. one of the things that was so huge was also your comedy. Like, Yeah, I'm, I'm politically incorrect, darling. I say that in the beginning of my show. If you're politically <laughs> correct, you better go now because you're not going to enjoy this because mm. I think political correctness has ruined our country. See, Aussies have always laughed. At, we've always had a good laugh. We've always laughed at ourselves. But, you know, we've lost that knack of even sending ourselves up now because people get insulted Mm. over the most stupid things. Yeah, we are becoming a rather delicate bunch. That seems to be... Because we were unique in that way. Do you feel maybe the the pendulum will swing back the other way, that we'll be able to recapture it? I I can't see it in my lifetime, but, um, you know, unless I get a telegram from Prince William and I'm still around. (laughs) 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 I just had a mental picture of me getting down to one knee to be knighted. (laughs) 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 I'd never get back up. (laughs) Oh, God. you got to have a laugh. On those nights where you were really had the crowd, like you really owned it and you had them in hysterics or had them singing along, like what is that like as a performer? That's magical. That's a thing that I've learned over the years. You know, I've, um, I've owned that myself. You know, I just it's like when I was in Western Australia, I hadn't worked for so long because, you know, I was – Doing a tour, I'd just done the Hayes Theatre in 2020 when this COVID thing broke out and I we'd done a week at the Hayes Theatre, then we went straight to Tasmania, me and the band, and then all of a sudden I'm out, I get to the airport to go to the next state. I think we were on our way to Adelaide and they told us that we were going to be, had to go home and bang, I was uh, off work, lost the rest of the year's work. So oh, that's when everything changed. But uh, then I went to uh, just recently to Western Australia and I hadn't worked for so long and I was a little bit nervous and I went out on stage and just well, there was some guy sitting down the front which I said something to and then it started and it, it, it just 
it it hit. You know, the the comedy started coming out, and it was it went fantastic. And I yeah. I just relaxed after that. But it was hard, you know, having all that time off and then going back. What would you say to young people listening, and I don't know, particularly parents of kids who they might be starting to, you know, express parts of their sexuality that's not necessarily heteronormative. What would you say, what would you say to those people? I would say just accept it, let them run their, run their race. They either go ahead with it or they grow out of it. You don't wake up one morning and decide you're going to be gay. You're born that way. Let people just run their lives. You know, little kids, you know, they might like putting makeup on or little boys might like putting makeup on and that doesn't mean they're going to turn out gay. They know themselves when they get to a, a, a certain age. You know, we're four years after the marriage equality uh, ref plebiscite. You know, people might think, oh, there's gay people everywhere now. Well, they were always there, right, Carlotta? They were always there, but, you know, it was hit and frowned upon. Now they're out. I know couples, couples of gays, uh, lesbians and, and gay boys that have, you know, have got families. And, you know, they're, they're the best parents you could ever come across. You'll always have to educate people. Unfortunately, because there are those that are still, you know, uh, put a stigma on people. As I say, you know, if you live your life decently and live it the way you want to and you don't hurt anyone else, you'll be fine. You, you talked earlier, Colour, about like initially when you were performing, you wouldn't even be able to wear men's clothing on the street in the early 60s. Is that right? There was no written law. What the law was was called offensive behaviour, but there was no written law saying that you couldn't dress as a woman or you could dress as a man if a woman wanted to dress as a man. And I got arrested one night, thrown in the thing. I used it as a joke for years. I came up before this judge. I said, what's the charge? He said, you dressed as a woman, offensive behaviour. I said, well, you've got a wig and a robe on. And he pissed himself laughing and dismissed it. It is bananas that it, in your lifetime... That's changed. And well, it has changed. It yeah. changed after that, more or less. You know, the cops were told to lay off us. Did people, res- you know, show respect in the community? Was it like the Godfather when people walked into a club? Did they come and, uh, you know, kiss the ring, so to speak? Darling, I use my – I develop my best comedy from – the thing I miss a lot on stage is in the early days you used to get a lot of hecklers. Mm. You know, I'd get – men, you know, saying, oh, where do you put it? I won't say what I'm going to say. You can say whatever you like. It's fine on this show. No, all right. I'd say open your mouth and I'll show you. You know, and I learned to say, you know, that they'd, they'd send you up and blah, blah, blah. I said, listen, mate, I'm more of a man than you'll ever be, more of a woman you're ever likely to get. You know, these were old lines that I developed over the years. So we all developed comedians uh, in my business. It was a good background education for me because I developed that ad lib thing. A lot of people's uh, comedians, you know, will tell jokes or what's the name. I don't. My dialogue's different every night. I find comedy in people. That was a good education because you don't get hecklers anymore. But, you know, you used to in those days, the we'd call the Ocker boys, you know, they'd come in and they'd try to send you up and then by the end of the night they were trying to pick you up to take you home. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I was suspecting, Carlotta. Maybe, maybe they were shouting. <laughs> and maybe I used they to were... say, "Remember, I got Mummy's features, but Daddy's fixtures." <laughs> 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 oh, 
It sounds like uh, it sounds like a wild time. I mean, you talked about like you feel like really lucky to have been. Well, look, I can part laugh about era. it now, you know. But you know, like even talking like this, you know, you'll get people that will go. They'll come down on you like a ton of bricks because you know they think that's politically incorrect. Mm. You'll get some that will disdain with what I'm saying. Mm. But I say it as it is. You know, if you don't like me, I'm sorry. Get off the planet. I'm only here once. I'm going to bloody enjoy myself. And for you, like being a a pioneer in the trans community and all you've done for, you know, workers' rights and the industry as a whole, do you feel like you've earned the right to be able to speak your mind, that you should be inoculated from that sort of criticism? No, you can say what you want. I take criticism on the chin. Please, say what you like, but I'm going to stand up for myself. But I, don't, I would never think that I have the right to do it. I just do it because I know, I know if I'm right or wrong. Mm. You know, no one's going to tell me what, how to live my life. You know, we, we, we live in a democracy, not a communist country. Yeah, it's a really courageous way to be, you know, and so many people aren't prepared to step into that. Well, yes, that's the, the, how you should be, you know, it's, it's true. We're, we're only on this earth for a short time. It goes very quick. And, you know, I'm going to enjoy the most of, uh, I, you know, for years I struggled. And now, now I'm enjoying my twilight years and I'm going to bloody enjoy it. Mm. But I'm not going to be it. involved with people criticising me the way I should live or anything. Go away, please. Get a life. Colour, I'm just I'm just picturing you walking out on stage at the Sydney Opera House for the big final show. Like have you like how do you even like have you even put the frocks together? Like how do you even plan a show like that? Oh, quite easy, darling. My last show was called I'm Not Dead Yet, Darlings. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last show before I said started when I said uh, before I was gonna return, I've called this show uh, the party's over, this show's called. Well, you've uh, you, you've been a pretty legendary fixture in Sydney and in the community, and I can't well, that's wait. Very nice we of you will to say that, but I don't think I've been legendary. I've just been around a long time. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I think you, people you know, like Alan Batros is uh, legendary. Yeah, I, I don't think you're any less so. You know, in many ways, I, I think that. When people you know, look Barry back at- Humphreys, they're, they're all legendary. I, I wouldn't put legend tag on me, darling. I'm just me. I'm just Carlotta. I hope they miss me when I'm gone. Let's put it that way. <laughs> or what, how's that song go? Please don't talk about me when I'm gone. <laughs> You're being very humble, Carlotta, but you cannot, you know how powerful television is. You can't underestimate what it would be to be some kid who's emerging into their sexuality and can't see anyone else around them that looks or, or, or feels like they do and then looking on TV and seeing you and realising, oh, they're not alone. Yeah, but, you know, I, re- I didn't realise then. I mean, it's very, when you say it, I think about it now, but I didn't, at the time, I didn't realise I was doing that. You know, I just thought I was, oh, I was being accepted, but I didn't realise, you know, that I was helping a lot of people out there. I really didn't until people brought it up. I mean, I would never ram down someone's throat how to live their lives. I just say to them, if your parents do not accept you, you can't live your life 
if you're feeling that way, you're feeling gay, you can't live your life closeted. It's too short a life. Your parents will eventually come around. And I, I, I just say that to everyone, you know, and if that's a help, I'm glad I can help them that way. I think you'll find you've helped an extraordinary amount of people, whether you acknowledge that or not or whether you're aware of it or not. I think sometimes when we just live our truth, the impact that it has, the reflection that we can be for others is so powerful. that. Um... Now, you love your child. That's your flesh and heart. You stick by them. Do you know one of the most beautiful things I saw the other night was that um, Dokovic, you know, and the girl, you know, that had the hideous father tennis player. Yeah, Yelena. The Australian girl. Yeah. She said after the Barty match the other night, she said the most beautiful thing. She said for Barty to have the family like she did, if you've got a sports person, you know, uh, stick behind that person like Barty's parents have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she had tears in her eyes because that mongrel ruined her career and I just thought it was so beautiful. Did your parents, did they come around? My step-parents did, my stepmother. I had two mothers. Mm. My real mother didn't really accept it. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know my real mother until I was about 12. Right. It's in the movie, darling. (laughs) (laughs) That Jessica Mariah played very well, I might add. (laughs) And we won three Acker Awards. (laughs) Of course you did. It's so good to speak with you tonight, Carlotta. You know, we really wanted to get you on the show. To- oh, look, all the best with it. Love you guys. Bye. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Far out, man. That was awesome. The world's changed a lot since she started yeah. doing what she was doing. And, yeah, I mean, she downplayed it. Every time we brought it up, but yeah. you know she is a, an icon, a legend in yeah. Australian entertainment, in the transgender community, in the queer community. She just has been such a, a doyen for so long. But yeah, she sort of takes it in her stride. But I love how she talks about you know, I w- I was Carol, but. I couldn't do these things. But Carlotta, Carlotta could do these things. Carlotta could be tough, could be strong, give it back to people, could fight for people's rights. Um, And sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to find that version of ourselves to do those things. I love the um, Sasha Fierce. You know Sasha Fierce, right? I am Sasha Fierce, the Beyonce thing. Yeah, yeah. So she, you know, when she was starting out, it's hard to believe she was sort of, Terrified of like being that sexy, provocative, absolute diva when she went out in front of tens of thousands of people. So she creates Sasha Fierce. She can step into this character. You know, it's still her. It's a a version of herself. And I think sometimes we all have to do that. When we're scared and when we're unsure and when we have to go and kick ass, we're like, I can't do that. But you can, but sometimes you have to tap into a part of you and and whether that's putting on a different outfit, whether that's putting on a different Mm -hmm. name, whether it's just manifesting something greater than you think you are, like we've we've all got it in us, you know? Yeah. You would know. You would know. You you, you walk into situations all the time where you'd be terrified. You're like, I'm putting on the jacket and I'm fucking doing this and you find a way. That's right. Yep, absolutely. 
So I'm not going to lie. Sometimes, uh, you know, much like uh, Carol became Carlotta and Beyonce became Sasha Fear, sometimes I'd do my very best to become Jack Burton. <laughs> like, what would Jack Burton do? <laughs> Tell him the check is in the mail. <laughs> it's all in the reflexes. It's all in the reflexes. But you're right. You're absolutely right. We all have that. We all have that ability. And it's almost like the whole um, act as if. If you act as if for long enough, eventually you will. I, I remember early, like in my, for example, in my, early in my sobriety, what would a sober guy do? A sober guy would go out and, you know, say hi to people and just vanish before the fifth drink. And then be like, okay, that's what a sober guy would do. Well, I'll just do that. And then sure enough, soon enough, it becomes, that's the thing you become, you start doing. Mm. It works. Yeah, it's awesome advice. And it's totally possible. Something I've been working on lately is, you know, sometimes I make terrible choices for myself and like uh, whether it be behaviours or thoughts or just old patterns and my thing is like what would you do if you truly loved yourself? Like what would you choose if you truly loved yourself? And that is such an amazing motto to bring to mind when you're like whether it's yeah, whether it's around food or booze or drugs or reacting to people or putting yourself in situations that, you know, probably aren't that responsible. You go, what would I choose if I truly loved myself? And and the answer reveals itself to you in really beautiful ways, you know. I'd go to bed earlier, you know. I'd look after myself. I think if you can't be the person the Sasha Fierce or the Carlotta when you need to be courageous and brave, you can at least be the person who, even if it's not true for you at that time, you can be the person that um, that acts in a way that really cares and values themselves. Man, I love doing this podcast with you, Jimmy. <laughs> I really dug that. To, to hang out with you and Carlotta on a... Uh, of an evening after all the kids have gone to bed is a pretty decent way to spend a night. Check out Carlotta if she's in the, in yeah. your area. You've got to see it. She's she's, a, she's an icon. Great show. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll catch her uh, on the Opera House stage. I have to see that show. Thank you very much, Jimmy. This has been fun. This show was... Uh Big thanks to Carlotta, who came on and was our very, very special guest. Thanks to Bree Steele, who um, tracked down Carlotta and um, convinced her to stay up late to talk to us. Daryl Misson on the audio production, Toe Hyder on the music. If you need us, idleaustralians at gmail.com. Tell your friends. Tell a friend. That's the best thing you can do for us, is tell a friend about this show. Have a great week, Jimmy. See you, brother. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.